that it can open someone up to sort of unmasking themselves. That I've been believing that I was doing things this way because this was the right way. And really the only wrong way is the way that doesn't work for me. Hello everyone. And welcome to the special interest podcast. I'm Alex. Hey, and I'm Carly. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We are so grateful for you to be in this space with us. And today, our guest that we'd like to introduce you to is Alyssa. Welcome, Alyssa. Yeah. Hi. It's great to be here. How are you today? I am great. It is really a fantastic day for me. I have had kind of a wild last week. And so kind of this weekend has been getting my space back to kind of the reset way that I like it to be. So it just feels really wonderful now that it's all put back together. I know that's such a great feeling. One of my friends sent me a meme and it was like the feeling when you've cleaned your house to the point that it seems like no one lives there. (laughs) It's such a great feeling and it can be really hard to do. So then when you can manage to do it, there's this huge feeling of accomplishment and it's really motivating to to keep it that way and to help like build systems that can keep it that way. Definitely. I think as a lot of us autistics feel like we need that routine and so having that space that feels and allows us to like continue on with our routines is so important. And so that kind of brings us into some of the things that you wanted to talk about today which is home organization and housekeeping. And so I'd love to hear about your journey with that and your relationship between that and also working with your autistic ADHD brain. Yeah, sure. So how I really got into the home organization space was I didn't know for a long time. I was adult diagnosed. And so I spent a lot of time really struggling with home organization and thinking I am the only person in the world who struggles with this because especially as, I mean, just as people, but even more than that, as women, there are all of these messages about how this should just be easy. And it's really, really not. And I thought I was the only person in the whole world who couldn't just get organized. And I tried books and I tried Pinterest hacks and I tried all kinds of different things out there and none of them were working for me. And then all of this sort of came to a head kind of during the pandemic, because when you get to leave your house a lot, you can kind of ignore it and you can kind of just skate by. But then when you're at home all the time, there's nothing else to do but notice how bad it is and how frustrating it is and how it's draining your energy. And it was around that time that I was diagnosed. And once I found out that I'm autistic and have ADHD, my background is in education. And I was an elementary classroom teacher for a while. And I started thinking, if I had a student 
who was working as hard as I was and still not getting to what they obviously wanted to achieve, would I talk to them the way I talked to me? And I was like, obviously, no, immediately, absolutely. I would not be telling them, you should just be less lazy or wow, if you just, if you just had, you know, a little more self-control, then you could make this work or like all of these messages that I was telling myself. And I started thinking, okay, if I was doing this for someone else, if I was trying to facilitate someone else being able to achieve something they were really frustrated by and really interested in finding a resolution for, I would start looking at what systems are they using? How is their environment setting them up for success? What are they doing that's just not working for them? And what can they find to do differently that would work better? And then I loved, Carly, how you mentioned routines. Because the very first thing I noticed once I started looking and doing more of a deep dive into what is organization and how does it work and why are we told to do it the way we're told to do it, the first thing I found everywhere was the phrase, just make it a habit, which works great if you form habits. <laughs> but I don't. And I know that many other people with autism and ADHD struggle to form habits. So instead of trying to make myself spontaneously remember things that didn't feel natural to me, I started looking for where can I build a routine and how can I use the things that I normally do and that I normally like to do to build in things that I need to be doing to keep my space the way I want it. And it was like this whole new world opened up and suddenly it got so much easier. I know people can't see it, but Carly and I, the whole time Alyssa was talking about that, we were just like nodding like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, I feel that so much. And that's something we talk a lot about on our podcast is like habit building and how it's challenging and like finding the tools and the resources to live sustainably, sustainably live comfortably. So that's also I'm from the education background. And I think that's so cool how you took your experience, applied it to yourself and created something for others so they could live a more sustainable and comfortable life that is really really cool what would you say like I don't know if this is the right word but or yeah prompted you to start this project of Alyssa's yellow house um like what like was there like an event um or was it just like a slow buildup of kind of what you were just talking about? It was sort of a combination of both. So as I'm sure many autistic people know, if you're autistic, you're probably drawn to other autistic people and you have other autistic friends, whether they're diagnosed or not. That's how I got diagnosed because one of my friends said, hey, a bunch of those things we have in common are symptoms and you should look into this. And she was completely right. And I was so glad that she said that to me. So 
as I was getting into this, it almost became a special interest. I was so intrigued by, you know, we're told that we should be organized, but we're never really told what organizing is. We're not taught what does that mean. We're just told, okay, it should be organized. And that carries the expectation that it should look like it came out of a home magazine. And that's just not realistic because also we live here and we're using these things and it's not sustainable. It's not something you can maintain long term. So like many people do, I was sharing this special interest with friends of mine and saying, oh, I discovered this and it's working really well for me. Well, they started trying it and then they started coming back and saying, hey, actually, it's working really well for me, too and solving these problems that I've been struggling with. And then I noticed that my family members were starting to do the same thing. And as I would share with them things that I was doing, they started trying them out and discovering that it worked really well for them. And eventually my mom started calling me to ask, hey, what would you do about this household issue that I'm having? And I was like, okay. When I'm not calling my mom to ask, she's calling me. (laughs) Probably I'm onto something and I need to share this with other people because if I was feeling this down on myself and this terrible about things that are completely solvable, I need to put that out there so that other people don't have to feel like that because it's a terrible way to feel and it's avoidable. So that's kind of where it came from was just this slow build of other people trying things and then eventually kind of all at once the realization that I'm not alone in this. My, there, there's no way that me and my friends are the only ones who are having this issue. That is such an awesome like beginning story of how this was all developed. And I love the fact that your mom would then come to you and you realized, wow, like I really have something to like offer to everybody to make them feel less alone and give back to really like the support that you probably needed before and now you're able to give it to other people's I find stories like that just to be so inspiring especially in the autistic community just because like it is so needed and we are all about community here so it really we just know how much that impacts even just one person is amazing yeah we really don't talk about it enough. There are a lot of struggles that I feel like as autistic people, we talk about a lot, you know, social difficulties and those kinds of things, or even learning difficulties that get talked about a lot, but nobody talks about home organization. It's like this dirty little secret that we all have. And when you start thinking about it, like when was the last time that someone came over And when they went through the front door, you did not immediately feel the need to apologize because we all do that. Or when have you gone to someone else's place and they haven't immediately said, oh my gosh, sorry about the mess. We were gone last weekend and, you know, we're going to get to it. Or it was too cold for the kids to play outside. So yeah, their blocks are all over the floor, but like, we're going to clean it up. And we immediately feel the need to start justifying why it looks like this. And 
that really betrays more of an insecurity in ourselves that we're not happy with it. Because if we're happy with it, we don't feel the need to defend it. If someone comes over and you're working on a big project, you don't say, oh, I'm so sorry that this is all over the floor. You go, oh my God, look at this cool thing that I have. And so when we can build a space that we feel really comfortable in, that feels like a sanctuary to us, we don't feel the need to defend it to other people. And that has been something that for me has been just the biggest light bulb moment that when I'm really happy with how my home feels and looks and works, I don't feel like I need to run around behind anyone who comes in and apologize for it because if they don't like it, they can leave. It's set up for me. It's not set up for them. But feeling very confident in that has been kind of a new experience over the last couple of years that I thought that everyone just had all the time. So I really think that we, I mean, even as like on a societal level could do better about saying you are not the only one who is having this experience. And also if you are having it, that doesn't mean that you have to just struggle in silence and pretend that you're the only one forever because there are resources out there for you. There are people who can show you that you can have a more organized space that doesn't feel like it's just sucking all of your energy all the time. And, and the thing that, that I have found that I think is the most upsetting to me about it is the number of people who will say, oh, well, if I wasn't so lazy, then this would be better. And I'm going, okay, but I'm watching you and you're telling me about this and you are busting your behind all the time to try and get this the way you want it to be you're not even sitting down and relaxing because you're spending all of your time trying to solve this problem in an unsolvable way. And that's not lazy. If you were being lazy, you wouldn't care. So the fact that you care so much and you're working so hard means that the problem isn't you. The problem is the system you're trying to use. Yeah. And I feel like kind of building upon what you said, there's so much like your like shame about having that uh, messy house and feeling hopeless about it. And I know I've been there and feeling like no matter how hard you work and then that just kind of builds upon like burnout and, you know, can lead, it's led to meltdowns for me before. Um, so I know you have your workbook, and I don't want you to give too much away on the podcast, but I'm wondering, like somebody who's struggling with home organization, maybe they're in burnout, they're feeling lost. Um, do you have any tips to share, tips and tricks? Yeah. Um, so in the workbook, I, I wrote the workbook to contain my whole organizational system, but only for the kitchen. Because the kitchen is a place where so many of us have a lot of struggle. There are texture issues in there, like nobody's business. 
if it like we're never relaxing in the kitchen almost every other room in the house we go there sometimes to relax but if we're in the kitchen we're almost always working and we have to eat so we can't avoid it even if we're getting takeout three times a day we still have you know the dishes to deal with we still have to be in the kitchen so the way that the workbook is organized is that it's set up basically to explain kind of four different sections there's the mindset piece, which is the place that I think everybody should start, because we have to work through just a lot of garbage that we've picked up from society, from socially, from the messages we give ourselves, from media. Pinterest is the worst offender. And we have to work through that before we can really even start to make progress. The second section is your actual physical organization. Where do things go? Where might you need accommodations? Whether they're, you know, documented accommodations or not, as we all get older, we find that we have these little things that bother us. And maybe it's an old injury or maybe it's, you know, whatever it is that makes it uncomfortable. So where can you accommodate to make yourself more physically comfortable? And then the third one is methods, which is sort of how do all of these things work together? What is the conversation like between you and your space? Then the last section is meal planning. So this is more kitchen specific. That's not as easy to extrapolate to the rest of the home as the others. But it's basically saying, if you really struggle to feed yourself, because I did, I I just didn't feel hungry, so I didn't want to eat. And then it had been too long since I had eaten. So then I was angry and then I felt defeated. And then it was hard to make myself eat something. So developing a meal planning method that takes like five minutes and actually works for me was huge. So I put that in there too. But for one initial place to start, at one of the very, very first things in the mindset section of the workbook, and this is something that is just near and dear to my heart at this point, is that we tend to catastrophize. We make big statements and we believe them. So the best first step that you can take is get really specific about what the problem is. Because if you say, like, I hate my kitchen, okay, that's a big, hard problem to solve. That's, that's a big, like, that's a meltdown worthy problem. Bring it in and get more specific. Do you actually hate your whole kitchen and everything about it? Or do you hate that the backsplash is ugly and you can't stop noticing it and it bothers you every time? Like, okay, great. Buy some peel on, peel and stick tiles, stick them on there. Don't worry about that anymore. Or do you hate that there are always crumbs on the floor and the texture of the crumbs under your feet? That is a solvable problem. Sweep, Swiffer, get a Roomba, you know, whatever you're going to do for that space, that is completely a solvable problem. Maybe you just keep a pair of slippers by the door so that you don't notice if you're stepping on crumbs. These are solvable problems that it's a lot easier to avoid reaching that meltdown point when you can bring the problem in small enough to see what is really going on. 
Because if the problem is crumbs, but you're telling yourself that you hate your whole kitchen, that feels like a monumental thing to solve. And we tend to think that if we want big results, then we have to make big changes. And a lot of times we don't. We can make very, very small changes that have huge impacts for our actual experience. So I think if I had to just give one thing and one place to start, that would be it. Just get really specific about what the problem actually is. And there's a section in the workbook that works you through how do you do that if you don't even know where to start on how to get more specific. Like there are specific steps that you can take in order to do that and sort of follow this funnel down to what is the actual issue. And it's so worth it because then every time you find yourself thinking like, oh, my, I just hate my cabinets and I just need to redo everything. You're like, well, do I? Or do I actually just hate that the shelf that the cups sit on is a little wobbly? Okay, I can, I can fix the wobbly shelf problem or I can just put the cups somewhere else and put something over here that doesn't matter. And suddenly it becomes just so much easier because if the only solution is to tear out all your cabinets and replace them, that is a monumental task that feels like it just can't be solved. If the solution is swap the cups and the mixing bowls, you can do that in a few minutes. Thank you so much for sharing all that. And it sounds like like the advice and tips that are in this book and what you talked about, although like you said, you are kind of using the kitchen as an example, you can still use a lot of these tools and apply them to your other spaces that you have as well. And just, yeah, breaking down the bigger picture and the bigger problem and figuring out what exactly is that, which seems like a big part of like your method and your process is just the the questioning everything aspect, which I think is really important for us to figure to ask the questions in order to figure out the solutions that set us best up. Um, so where can we purchase this workbook? The workbook is available on my website, um, which is alyssasyellowhouse.com. And actually, I am almost finished turning it into a course And that will be available very soon if a video format is easier. Um, I'm trying to, it's fairly new. And so I'm still in the process of putting it in different formats. But I, because I know that not one format is easy for every person, I'm trying to break it into multiple formats so that regardless of how you best intake information, this is a resource that is available to you because I think it's been so helpful for me and so helpful for some of the people that are closest to me and even for other people who have started being involved in the program. It's just been so life-changing to be able to set up a space that feels intuitive. And we all know what organizing feels like when it really is intuitive But we have so many messages about where things should go and how things should be that sometimes it's hard to listen to ourselves and ask ourselves, what feels normal for me? What feels intuitive for me? 
And we have, we, we all know what it feels like. And I have kind of a silly example that I always use, which is toilet paper. You never ever are wandering around your house going, darn, where'd I leave the toilet paper? You know where it is. So that is how organizing should feel all the time. It should feel that obvious. And a lot of the time it doesn't until we really start asking ourselves, why am I doing this thing that doesn't work for me? Why am I storing this here even though I always look for it over there? Or I always lay this thing down over here, so why don't I just find a place over here to store it? Because this is obviously where my brain wants it to go. And once you kind of open that world up to yourself, organizing it gets so much easier and so much more fun because it feels good. And it's your system and not someone else's system, which I think is one of the most important ways of how I put this program together is I don't want you to organize your home the way I organize mine. I want you to be able to organize it the way that feels good for you. So that's kind of what it's all about is walking you through how to discover that and then how to actually make it happen. I love how you brought up organizing intuitively because I think that's like without guidance, that's hard to do. So the fact that you made an entire workbook around it is awesome. And just kind of you brought up Pinterest and how that like makes things like harder, I guess. And it made me think about like, for me, I love watching fridge organization videos. And like, honestly, like when people make all that different kinds of ice, like I'm all about it. I don't know why, but it's just fun to watch. I love watching people organize things. It makes my brain happy, but then for me, like that's unattainable. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk like a little bit more about what you meant by like, uh, Pinterest and how it can be like hard to look at that content. Yeah, I consider Pinterest to be one of the worst offenders. And I say that as a person who spends too much time on Pinterest. I love Pinterest. It's so much fun. But when you go to Pinterest to look for organization help, what you find are 30,000 people who have the one perfect way that you should be doing this. And you are one person and it is unattainable for you to do 30,000 ways of organizing. And so if you're looking at all of these different tips and thinking, oh, I should do that and I should do this other thing and I should do this next thing. And this person said, this is the only way that works you are just setting yourself up to be very, very frustrated. Because if these people presented their ideas, I mean, as autistics, we can be very prone to take things fairly literally. So when people say, this is the only way that I organize, realistically, they probably don't because sometimes they get a cold or they have small children or they have whatever happens in their life. And sometimes they do things differently but it can set us up to put ourselves in this spiral of if I'm not doing it in exactly this way all the time, then I am doing it wrong. And that is exhausting and unattainable. So if you are looking for organization advice on Pinterest, take it with a heavy, heavy, heavy grain of salt because 
these are people who are out there presenting the best version of their homes. I mean, we've all seen the TikTok videos at this point where they'll say, this is what you see and this is what you don't see. And what they're showing you looks great. And then they pan the camera over and there's like 13 backpacks piled up with winter coats and shoes and dog toys. And you're going, oh, okay, there's the real people that live in this house. So looking at what is presented on Pinterest and believing that what they're presenting you is actually attainable, it's just not unless nobody lives there or you live in a museum. And if that's the system that works for them and it really does work, then great. But believing that their system is going to work for you is, is a dangerous place to start because you can really set yourself up for a lot of shame and anguish and isolation because they're presenting this as though this is the way and they often don't even live like this all the time. So I really try to avoid organization content on Pinterest. I also love organization videos. There's just something really satisfying about everything fitting nice and neatly into the corners. And I love that. But I can get that feeling through someone else's organizational video. I don't have to simultaneously believe that unless I'm organizing my fridge that way, then it's wrong. Because I'll be honest, I'm just going to leave the cheese sticks in the bag and chuck the bag in the drawer. And if I want one, I'll pull it out of the bag. I'm not going to take them out of the bag and put them all in a nice little container because that's just not adding enough joy to my life to justify the energy expense. If it is for you, great. But it doesn't have to be. This is reminding me of when I tried the life-changing magic of tidying up. <laughs> and yeah, I, I did take it very literally and I got rid of like all of my stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love how you brought up taking those organizational videos literally. That's not something I've ever really thought about. Um, and now I'm going to go forth with watching those videos and keep that in mind and feel like, uh, I guess, less of a failure, even though I don't consider myself a failure. But when I see all that organized stuff, kind of like what you're talking about, it makes you feel like less than. Um, and yeah, that's that's not the whole picture. That's a great point. It reminds me too of like for me growing up when you know, my mom would come into my room and say, oh, you need to clean up or like, you need to organize this. And I would be like, it is organized. I know exactly where everything is. And then she would come in and clean up my room. And I'd be like, where is my, all my things? They were exactly where I put them in the spot. And now they're not there. And now I don't know where they are. And then, you know, then that, that spiral feeling happens because you're not in control of like your own, your own space. I use that example all the time to describe how when we're young, we intuitively know that we have our own way of organizing. And when mom comes in and cleans your room, it feels like a crisis. Like, I can't find anything now. What did you do with all my stuff? I had it. I knew where it was and now it's gone. And then somehow when we enter adulthood, we start believing that like, nope, there is in fact one right way and like, yep, when I moved in here, mom came with me and she helped me unpack my kitchen. And now I just believe that's where things go. But why? 
I mean, when we were teenagers, we certainly wouldn't have believed that's where it goes just because mom put it there. So going back and re-examining those things is really helpful because we do all have that knowledge. We have that inside of us. We've just forgotten how to access it. So making that available again is a really important part of sort of the beginning of getting organized. And then once you find that feeling again and it feels comfortable, the organizing starts to happen almost on its own. I, I was really intrigued by what you were talking about, about tidying. Um, so one of the sections in the workbook that specifically talks about tidying, and I was so intrigued when you were, were talking about just getting rid of all your stuff. A lot of the tidying resources that are out there give you these kind of arbitrary guidelines about here's how you know if you should keep it or if you shouldn't keep it. And maybe those things work very well for people who don't have things like special interests or expansive hobbies, because I am a quilter. And if you know anyone who is a quilter, you know that I have piles of fabric sitting around. I have spools of thread all over the place. It's not clutter to me because I'm using it. But someone else who was not into sewing, I'm sure would come in and look at it and think, oh my goodness, there is so much clutter in here. And if I was following a lot of those strict guidelines, I would be throwing out a lot of things that I would then have to go back and buy again. So one of the things that is later on in the workbook actually is a section on how to build your own criteria for deciding what deserves to be in your space and what is not really serving you. And I think it's really important to be able to decide for ourselves, what do we value? Because those things will not be the same for every person. And so trying to write a book about here are the criteria that you should use when you're evaluating whether you want to keep something or not. I tried the tidying up and I really struggled because it was like, oh, well, get rid of all your books. I probably have hundreds. I love books. I love to read. I read all of them. <laughs> and so it was like, oh, just get rid of all but like 20 of them. And I was like, okay, but I have more than 20 favorites. So like where I'm already stuck. I'm already stuck at where do I even start? How do I make this work for me? Well, I don't. That's the, the pure and simple truth of it is I can't make those guidelines work for me. So I sort of distilled my process of how I chose my own guidelines for what do I keep and what do I get rid of? How do I decide between, okay, this is really sentimental, but I don't really use it. So how do I evaluate between the sentimental things, this I'm going to keep and this I'm going to let go? And so part of the workbook is about how do you build your own criteria so that you can feel somewhat more consistent about deciding what to keep and what to let go of, but also you're not keeping things that you don't use or letting go of things that you really value just because of an arbitrary set of criteria that someone has written and said, this is the right way to do it. So I 
I was so intrigued as you were talking about that, thinking, I wonder if you struggled as much with trying to do that as I did, because the criteria that were listed just didn't fit. Yeah, it was really hard. And I'm also pretty sentimental. So like tidying has been hard for me my whole entire life. You know, you get in that, you start tidying and then all these memories come up because I tie so many memories to objects. And yeah, there's some things that I got rid of that I still regret. I got rid of, um, luckily nothing like too big, but yeah, it was, it was really, really hard. Um, definitely not intuitive, uh, for everybody. I could see how it would work for some people, but just even like the idea of tying <clears throat> objects to just one emotion. Um, cause like, basically it's like, if this item doesn't give you joy, get rid of it. And while I get that, you know, you want to fill your house with things that make you feel joyful, um, you know, I experienced so many emotions that I value and might not be joy, but maybe this object will bring me a memory that was really important that might make me feel a different way. So yeah, it was, it was hard. That was one of the things that I found too, where I was trying to figure out like when it says, does this bring you joy? Does that mean it literally? Is this one of those times where it's literally the feeling of joy or does it just mean do you feel good things that you enjoy feeling and I was not able to separate that out I was having to do that for every single item and finally I was like this qualification just is not working for me I need to find something else because I'm I I can feel myself overthinking it and now I'm spending more time sorting through my internal definitions than I am sorting through my belongings. And this, <laughs> this has gone past the point of being helpful. Yes, it's like I'd pick up a t-shirt and I'd be like, is this a joyful t It would be like a white, plain white t-shirt. Of course, yeah, taking it literally, like you said, and it's just like, it's a white t-shirt. Like, <laughs> how much joy could it bring you? But... And, you know, if it's, yeah, yeah, taking it literally. Yeah, that's a great point. About a lot of things you brought up, like taking cleaning literally, which is not something I've ever thought, you know, it's, and like my family, like, I grew up with like a very Portuguese family and they're very much about like cleaning and like having a very clean house and um, growing up, like, you know, my family had a whole room that nobody ever used. And it was just like to look, to look at basically, um, like people in my family would have that. And, you know, it's like, you don't, don't sit in there, but it's so, and then bringing up to like the idea of like, uh, your, you know, your caregiver, your mom or whoever coming into your room and cleaning up for you. I feel like I never, like nobody ever tells you how to clean. They just tell you clean your room. And like, I don't place fault on basically like 90s parents and the 90s were like such an interesting time. But, you know, even like TV shows from the 90s, they would be like, clean your room. Like, I just feel like it was such a big thing, like in the media and like just cleaning your room was like, no, we don't want to do it. Um, But yeah, nobody ever taught us how except I do remember the cleaning song song from Barney was it and it's like clean up clean up 
But again, they just told you to do it and like didn't tell you how. Yeah. And then you get stuck between cleaning and organizing because they're definitely related, but they're not really the same thing. And so a lot of times as kids, when we're being told clean up, what they really mean is organize. And so then we're looking around thinking, I mean, it's clean. Like, it's not dirty, but like, yeah, there's some stuff on the floor and there's a pile of books over here and there's clothes draped over that chair, but like, they're clean. And then nobody ever teaches you that, okay, they don't really mean make sure it's dust free and not sticky. They mean make sure that it's organized so that you have clear surfaces and that those two things did not intuitively go together for me. Especially when I knew where all the stuff was because I knew where I had it last. So even if it was on the floor over here under last month's jacket that wasn't really dirty but wasn't really clean, so I just threw it on the floor, it was not intuitive that when they said clean up, they meant organize or put things away. And so trying to figure out how to be both organized and clean because we've also all been to somebody's house or we've been to a place that was very organized and not very clean. And it feels unsettling because you look around and it looks nice, but as soon as you get close to it, it's, it's uncomfortable because we can tell that it's not clean and we like things to feel clean just as humans. We like things to feel sanitary. And so it's hard when you don't have a good balance between being organized and being clean. And part of figuring out a good organizational system is also figuring out how often do I actually need to clean this? Which is another thing that I have in the workbook, actually, because you can go on Pinterest. Again, here we are back at Pinterest, and you can find dozens of examples of a cleaning schedule. And maybe that works great for the home of whoever made that cleaning schedule. But like I will make coffee once or twice a month when it's really cold out and I'm just feeling like something nice and warm. So I do not need to be cleaning my coffee pot on the same schedule as someone who drinks three pots of coffee a day. And so trying to follow a schedule written by someone else that does not live in my space, that does not use their things the way I use my things was very unintuitive. I could follow it for a couple of days and then I'd give up. Yes, thank you for that, bud. Nacho cheese is, is being involved here. Um, but welcome cats on the pod. <laughs> well, he will take every chance he can get for some attention. So yeah, it's it's just a very complicated sort of meeting of how do you actually use your things? And based on that, how often do you actually need to clean them? If you have a microwave, but you never use it, you probably don't have to clean yours as often as I have to clean mine because I use it all the time. So one of the sections of the workbook is here is how you track. How often are you actually using these things? How dirty do they actually get? And here's how you create your own cleaning schedule. So if that's something that you want, if that's something that helps you to have a schedule that you can follow, here's how you build that for your actual space and the things that you actually have. 
because I found a whole bunch of cleaning schedules on Pinterest that were like, oh, here's how often you should clean your air fryer. I don't have an air fryer. This is not helpful to me, but also it's on the list. So I feel like I should do it, even though that's impossible because I don't have one. (laughs) So being able to build sort of my own schedule of this is what feels good to me. This is what feels intuitive to me. This is what, you know, based on the manufacturer's recommendations and how often I use it, this is how often this needs to be cleaned. And it was so much more effective for me than trying to find someone else's list for their home and the things that they use that just didn't work. I love how you just brought up the there's cleaning and there's organizing because I feel like I've heard it before, but just like hearing that, like it finally clicked for me and I had a download of like, wow, there's a lot of times actually every time I go to clean my house Sometimes I do it quick, but a lot of times I'll end up both organizing and cleaning and it'll take me forever to do. And then by the end, I'm so tired. I'm like a couch potato. So like just the like differentiating between those two things and like also having that perfectionism in me of like, okay, if I'm going to clean, it's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be, it's going to feel like no one lives in my house. Like, (laughs) which yeah, is like unattainable because people do live here. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's kind of an ideal that we have. Like we, we believe that our home should look like, you know, better homes and gardens could walk in and take a photo at any moment. And even as someone who works in home organization, I can tell you I would be very unhappy if they took a photo of my house at any given moment because I'm living in it. You know, the other people who live in my home are living in it. My pets are living in it. I've got 15 cat toys on the floor right now that I can see from here. It's not going to be magazine perfect and it doesn't need to be to still feel good. I love how a lot of the points that you've brought up of using your intuition, again, the questioning and just saying like, how does this make me feel? Like it is so awesome that you're applying it to organization and a clean home. But these are also like listening to like these are life skills that we can bring into like our everyday lives that I think can set a lot of us up for a more sustainable and fulfilling life if we can just tune into what works for us and again knowing that what works for Alex might not work for me and what works for Alyssa might not work for me but really even just observing and questioning oh what are they doing does this work for me and coming to that answer of no this doesn't work for me but what does and then trying that like that is just so cool that like People can learn so much more, I think, about themselves in their own journeys just by this organization book and workbook that you've created, which is really, really fascinating. That's such a great point because it is really individual. And also, as an autistic person, I know that I like things a certain way. And I don't always know what that way is right off the bat, but I do know what's not it. And when it does not feel good, it really bothers me. And so instead of taking those things that don't feel good and just assuming that's how life is, 
it's so much nicer to be able to dig into it and say, okay, this way doesn't feel good, but that doesn't mean there's not a way that does. So what does my natural flow of how I move through my home actually want to look like? You just put into words something that I've been experiencing of like, not liking like the way I'm organizing something or just something in general, but like not knowing what I want. Like that is a very relatable experience for me, a hundred percent. Yeah. Even going through the workbook, one of the things that I talk about in there consistently is if you try this and it doesn't work, shift it around a little bit and try it again. Because if you already knew how you wanted to be doing it, you would be doing it that way already. So it is okay to try something and then say, this is not it for me, but this specifically is the part I don't like. So what if I change that to be different? Will I like that better? And maybe you will, and maybe you won't. And I mean, I don't know if you guys shop for clothes like I do, but I go down the aisle and I touch every single thing because I can't tell from looking at it if it's going to be comfortable once I actually have it on. So it's okay to do organizing that same way, to to try it on and see, is this comfortable for me? Like, you don't have to choose one thing and then do it that way forever. Like, we're not window shopping. We're We're living here. I love that. And it also relates to like, it made me think of just unmasking in general and learning that we're autistic later in life. You have to do so much learning and relearning and figuring out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And yeah, just that trial and error. Yeah, it really is. And going through the workbook, you won't find a whole lot of conversation specifically about autism or specifically about ADHD because it just doesn't seem necessary because it's not, I mean, we're struggling with organizing because our brains work in a certain way and that's not the way that conventional techniques have been presented to us. But that's not our problem. That's a system problem of we have been given only one system. And then when it didn't work for us, it was like, well, okay, good luck, I guess. Just feel bad about yourself forever. And that doesn't seem like a great option. So the stuff that's in there is not about specifically reminding you all the time, like, oh, well, since you have this particular struggle, because it's also, there are things about the way our brains work that make it easier for us. Because, I mean, like we were saying, we do know when it's not right. And then we know when it is. So being able to work through all of these little sections, I also divided it up into super short sections because I know myself and if I have too much all at once, I get overwhelmed, I get unmotivated, and I'm going to set it down and forget that it exists. So I divided it up into these really short little sections so that you can do each piece in a few minutes and then build on itself. So that you also don't have to have three straight days to take off work or whatever, so that you can just do this. Because it's a process that that we use as we're just living in a space. And so getting rid of 
some of those expectations, like you were talking about, Carly, with unmasking, like just living with ourselves and masking for ourselves because we've been told that this is the right way is not necessary to having an organized space. I used to think that if I let myself do whatever I wanted, I would just live in a pigsty and it would be a disaster all the time. And it turns out that that's not the case because I don't actually want to live like that. I just don't want to clean and organize in the way that I've been told is the only way to clean and organize. So opening myself up to other possibilities means that I get to do it in the way that feels good and intuitive for me, which means that I actually do it instead of just endlessly putting it off for later. I love that. It's like unmasking in life. It's not just like applying to you as a person. It really does apply to every aspect of your life, including your home, which is like seems like such a big undertaking to like you know go through it and learn about yourself to that point where you have everything set up in a way that's happy and comfortable for you but taking these resources and you know asking for help from others and going to other people to learn from it's all part of our community and what makes it so wonderful and so um, we have some questions that we always ask towards the end of an interview, if you're ready for those. I don't know if you had any other things you wanted to touch on. No, let's go for it. Yeah. So kind of going along with the idea of community, we love to learn about your favorite connection you've made to the autistic or neurodivergent community through your work. Probably for me, I have a not to give any names or any specific associations, but I have a relative who started looking at my work because they were interested in me and what I was doing. And the more they looked at it and the more they tried it out, the more they were like, I think I might be autistic. And I was like, yeah, I, I think so. But it it's an older person who's discovering this for the first time. And while this does often run in families, this was not something that this person was prepared to think about at all. And it was through discovering that they're not broken, they're not lazy, they just need to do things in a different way, that they were able to actually open up to the possibility of, I'm not struggling because I am just you know, the most useless person who has ever tried to do this, I'm struggling because I'm thinking about it in a way that doesn't work for me. And if I start thinking about it with the strengths that I actually have and being mindful of the things that I struggle with, it it makes things so much more possible. And that I think so far has been the most validating thing for me to see that even people in my own family are really benefited by this and also the ways that it can open someone up to sort of unmasking themselves. That I've been believing that I was doing things this way because this was the right way. And really the only wrong way is the way that doesn't work for me. And so I definitely think that's the most validating thing that has happened through this. Um, I would say that probably one of the most fun is there's um, another entrepreneur on Instagram that I met that is autistic and 
has been, we've been sort of communicating about just what it's like to be in business and autistic. And that has been really just a joyful exchange of being in a similar boat and understanding where the other person is coming from, because it's really easy to just feel isolated and knowing that other people are having the same experience in parallel feels so nice. And it's sort of, it's almost like body doubling, knowing that she's doing the same thing. And so even if I'm not physically in the room with someone, I can message her and say, hey, I'm working on this thing right now. What are you doing? And then feel more motivated because I don't feel alone. And that's been really enjoyable. It's so awesome to hear that just from your experience of putting yourself out there and sharing your own experiences and what you've learned from them, you've been able to like unlock that within your relative and find connection with other people that are on a similar path as you are, which is just like really, really cool. Yeah, it's been really wonderful and really validating that I'm not alone. I'm not making it up that I'm the only person who deals with this, that there really are a lot of us and that we're all kind of on this path together of deconstructing these messages that are not very useful and replacing them with things that feel more authentic. Yes, I love that. So our next question is, what advice would you offer to someone who has maybe just discovered that they're autistic? That is a great question. The first thing I think I would say is that however you feel is okay. The second thing is that however you feel is going to change. And so I, when I was diagnosed as an adult, at first I had a ton of grief because I thought I've been suspecting that something was wrong with me and here's the proof that something really is wrong with me. And then I came to see that as much more of a message that had been presented to me about what autistic people were like, rather than how I actually felt in my own body, how I felt about my friends. Did I feel like something was wrong with my autistic friends? No, absolutely not. I thought they were wonderful, fantastic people that were a joy to spend time with. So the more I relaxed into it's okay to feel really sad about this because I was thinking, you know, if, if it's something that I can take a pill for, then I can be normal. And nobody is normal. Normal is a lie we sell ourselves about how we should be. And then we all spend our time struggling to fit into this box that's really only made for probably one or two people, if that. And so letting yourself be in the fullness of who you are instead of in a narrow box that you feel like you should occupy will feel so much better than any kind of societal label that you might ever be able to put on yourselves. And in the same way that when you wear your most outlandish clothes, you get the most compliments. It is absolutely fine to be your most authentic self. 
the people who will love you are going to love you even more for being your most authentic self because they're going to really have the chance to know you. And just as much as they'll get to know you, you'll get to know yourself. And when you know yourself better, you can love yourself even more. That felt like a warm hug. That was just such great advice. I feel like so warm and like cozy right now. Like that is such a great message to bring to everybody. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, that was very validating. And I love how your first piece of advice was like, feel what you feel. And the second piece, it's going to change. Like, yeah, I the amount of times I've changed my thinking, my ideas, I've learned things about myself. So yeah, what a, what a great point. Um, our last question we like to ask is, what's your autistic glimmer? So something that just fills you with joy, like a, a favorite part about your autistic self, anything along those lines. My favorite thing that I have found recently is that there are other people who do the happy food dance. I thought I was the only one. My husband calls it my happy food dance because when I take a bite of something that's just really good, I do that little side to side like, oh, that's so good. And I thought I was the only one. And then I saw a video somewhere. It may have even been on your page. I can't remember now where I saw it, but it was someone else talking about discovering that other people do this. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I Not only now does that feel just, it, it's like all of my emotions just coming out in my body, but it also now feels like this lovely little moment of connection to the rest of this community that I didn't know was a connection and it just feels so warm and fuzzy now. Yes, we love the happy food dance. I do it like even if I know I'm going to eat something, I start dancing. And like for the longest time, I didn't realize until people pointed it out and they were like, you always dance. I'm like, oh, I'm so happy. Like I love food. <laughs> well, Alyssa, it's been such a joy to have you on and get to know you and connect with you and just to hear everything that you're creating for our community that is such an impact on people's lives like thank you so so much for everything you do and I just wanted to give you the last few minutes of space if there's anything else that you want to share with everybody that's listening right now sure so you can find me on Instagram at Alyssa's Yellow House and also I have a Facebook group, which is also at Alyssa's Yellow House. Isn't that nice and convenient for kind of discussing and sharing some tips, some tricks, some just community support for organizing and the things that are difficult, the things that are successful, just getting to celebrate that with a group of other people. So I would definitely say if it's something that you're struggling with or even something that you're finding joy in, feel free to come and share that with the Facebook community. I definitely answer messages on Instagram, on email. I am so passionate about this and I just love to talk about it. And I think that everyone should have a home that they feel good about. So if you have questions or if you are looking for how to get started, please get in touch with me. I would love, love, love to talk with you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alyssa. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been an, a wonderful conversation and something 
I think needs to be talked about so much and you know, I feel like the space isn't always there. So thank you for sharing all of your tips and tricks. And we look forward to our audience hearing your thoughts as well. Yeah, thanks for holding space for all of this. It can be kind of a big, heavy topic. So I really appreciate you creating the space to have that conversation. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you have an awesome week and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.